Hey, podcast world. Welcome to another exciting episode of FNO InsureTech, coming to you live today from the United States of America, where we're both located. That is true, Rob. We are both here. We are both here. And this is your wonderful, terrific, and exciting hosts, Mr. Lee Boyd. And Mr. Rob Beller. That's right. Thanks for that intro, Lee. You're welcome, Rob. Hey, Lee, guess what? What's that? We have a really exciting episode today. We do? Yes, we do. What makes it so exciting? Well, we have a really unique person. Okay. He's really smart. He's vastly experienced on the carrier side. Okay. And he's currently an academic who's running an insurance and risk management program at the university level. That sounds very, very interesting. Yes. Mr. Gary Sullivan, formerly VP of Property and Subrogation for Erie Insurance and currently professor at Mercyhurst University. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Thrilling to get him. Yeah. I would imagine we could probably talk a lot about you know, what it's like to be on the carrier side working with insured tech companies. I imagine we get to probably hopefully talk about what all uh, he is teaching there at Mercyhurst and as he prepares to get his courses up and running. Right. And I'm interested in his insights of how can insure techs work most effectively with carriers? Yeah, I think a lot of people have that question. You know, even carriers are saying, how do I handle this insure tech company who wants to work with me? But even more importantly, these insure tech companies are saying, how do I get in the door? What do I do? How do I act? What do I need to do? Mm -hmm. So I think this could be a great podcast. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Really look forward to it. And I want to ask our listeners a favor. What's that? We would like you to go on to your favorite podcast platform that you may be on, iTunes, Spotify, SoundCloud, whatever it may be, and rate and subscribe to our podcast. The best way that you can support us is to give us your rating so we know what you're thinking and we know what your input is and give us your subscription so that every time we publish a new episode, you get it delivered right to you. Yeah, I think that's great. And we do have some really good upcoming podcasts that will be posted to the site. So that way you can get the most up-to-date information. Right. We don't want to bother you. We'd prefer that you just can listen at your convenience when you want to. So please subscribe. We're looking for subscribers. This is a shameless ask for subscribers. Please subscribe. And feedback. Feedback. We want your feedback. We want to know, you know, what do you like? Things like that. Did I mention that I want people to subscribe? Did I bring that up? I did hear that once, so maybe they should subscribe. Anthony, are you there? Anthony is our producer. Say hi, Anthony. Hello, podcast world. Hey, what should people do? Yeah, you should definitely subscribe to the podcast. Uh, Give us a rating and review and uh, let us know what you're thinking, just like uh, Lee and Rob just asked. That's wonderful. Great. Well, so now that we shamelessly asked for your further participation in our little experiment here. Let's go to our interview and conversation with Gary Sullivan, professor of risk management at Mercyhurst University. Good morning, Gary. Good morning. How are you you today? I am exceptional today. It's a good day to be in academia, that's for sure. (laughs) Why? There must be bad storms somewhere. Is that what it is? Yes, we have storms rolling across the central part of the U.S. right now, and I am not watching the Weather Channel. Wow, I can't even imagine what that must be like. You mean there's <laughs> life after the Weather Channel? 
There is. There is. Like I said in the beginning there, you're an interesting cookie for a lot of different reasons. But the one that comes to mind right away is you were a top executive at Erie Insurance for a long time. Isn't that correct? I was running the property and subrogation claims department for seven years when I left. And you left for what? I am now setting up a new risk management program at Mercyhurst University in Erie, Pennsylvania. I had been teaching at an adjunct level for four years, and then through the kindness of a graduate of Mercyhurst University, who is also a board member of Erie Insurance, Mrs. Betsy Vorshek, she partnered with the university and said, we, we really need to help develop talent for the insurance industry. How can I help? Mercyhurst got together with Erie Insurance and said, we need to have an undergraduate and graduate program that offers courses in risk management and cybersecurity. So since I was adjunct, in the lead up to the rollout of the program, I was on a team that helped shape the curriculum. And then when they needed someone to run it, I raised my hand and the stars aligned and I was very, very pleased to be selected. I was honored to be the one to head up this new program. And so what we've got is a program where we offer a unique curriculum. There's no other university in the world that's offering this curriculum. We have a blend in the major at the undergraduate level of four risk management courses and four cybersecurity courses. So students will have a complete understanding of the cyber world as well as the insurance world and how the impacts to businesses and insurance companies occur because insurance companies have two challenges with cyber. One is they're like any other business. They have data. They have information that they need to protect and hold dear. So they need cyber professionals there. But it's also a huge marketing opportunity and a business opportunity because insurance companies offer and are starting to offer cyber insurance. So they need experts to, who understand the exposures, how to underwrite, price, and then handle claims. And there aren't any programs out there that are providing that total package of classwork as well as industry interaction and project work. So we put that together. We have an undergraduate program that's in the business college, and then we have a graduate program in cyber risk management. It's all online. It's a two-year program, caters to the working professional who wishes to advance their knowledge of cybersecurity. There are eight classes in cyber risk and then four classes in insurance. So the graduate program is an online-based program? It is. It's 100% online, and I teach in both curriculums. I teach the insurance courses in the undergraduate and in the graduate level. Wow. So I would imagine that the graduate level really hits to insurance professionals who are in the market now. And then what type of jobs would a person be getting after taking the undergraduate courses? Is that more, uh, I, I don't know, what would they lead into? What are you training them for? What's your goal there? Right. The job market is really hot right now for insurance professionals at all levels. We're gearing the program in, in the two different directions that I mentioned. One is if someone is bent on the cybersecurity side, they can go into a, an insurance company and help them with the cyber risk projects and, and cyber security issues and understand what the insurance company does. That's one of the challenges that I faced when I was working with some of the uh, professionals in the service areas is they didn't understand what, one, what claims did, and two, what property or subrogation claims did. So students will have a balance base of knowledge of understanding the cyber risks as well as how the insurance company operates. Because we teach courses on 
general risk management and insurance, and then we get into finance and accounting for insurance professionals, and then we get into insurance operations. So they'll have a complete understanding of how an insurance company operates. And then great introduction and some hands-on classwork with the uh, cybersecurity curriculum. Yeah, I think that's really neat because you've been around so many people who have maybe lots of knowledge in a lot of areas, but limited knowledge, and you're able to bring that expertise to the class. So really, really going to be a very neat insight into the insurance market. Kudos to you. I think that that's great. Thanks. Thanks. Yeah, the undergraduate students will have, they can go in a lot of different directions. And one thing they can do is have an impact on the business side of the insurance area as well in either sales and marketing, especially a company that's trying to develop a cyber market. These students will understand that. On the underwriting side, they'll understand what the exposures are. And on the claim side, they'll understand what steps need to be taken from an investigative standpoint, as well as a mediation standpoint. So the students are going to have a well-rounded understanding of, especially when they come out from the undergraduate program, what what's needed. You gave me a statistic or a, a statistic, I guess, on, on cyber, on how big the market is today and how big the market is anticipated to be. Yes. The last I saw was a white paper from AM Best. It was published in the fourth quarter of last year, I believe. And they're estimating the market of cyber insurance to be around $200 billion annually. And in 2017, about $1.2 billion of premium was written. So there's a, there's a long runway for growth in cyber insurance. Yeah. I know that we at 470, we pay for cyber insurance. It's not inexpensive, but required. I mean, now today, several of our customer contracts require it. I'm not surprised. I dealt with the contract side of the relationship when I was at Erie Insurance, and that was a growing concern and growing quickly, making sure that vendors have appropriate cybersecurity measures in place, cyber response plans, disaster recovery plans in place, and um, appropriate liability coverages. You know, you're starting to hear cyber so much more than we used to. In fact, it's probably every other week I hear somebody from our IT department talking about doing cyber audits and things surrounding that. Why is that becoming so much more important today? I don't know. Why is that? There's been a tremendous growth in the number and complexity of cyber attacks that take place. Businesses are facing five huge cyber threats. One is phishing. Those are the emails where there's a link or an attachment that's been sent under the guise of someone within the organization, but it's not. And they're asking for contact. They're asking for you to click on that link. Once you click on that link, you can import malware or give up passwords and that sort of thing. There's ransomware. It's where um, the system has been taken hostage. And you have to pay some sort of ransom in order for the system, the operating system to be released. West Haven, Connecticut had that occur to them last fall. And they had to pay a portion of a Bitcoin, about $5,000, to have their system released. There's also crypto jacking. I don't know if you've heard of that. It's related to blockchain, but it's where blockchain miners, they surreptitiously access servers and electricity of large organizations such as a, a, a company. And in the background, they're using that computing power and electrical power to do their blockchain mining, mining, which is very expensive and requires a lot of computing power. Then you got the nation state threats. We have North Korea, Russia, and China always hacking businesses and government. So those are threats. And then we've got the insider threats where we have folks that are 
that do something unwittingly or folks that are truly trying to undermine the viability of an organization. So all of those things are a threat to any business and in some cases individuals. So cybersecurity is very important for us to be maintaining and be vigilant about. So you bring up something, you mentioned blockchain and our listeners will be happy to know that here at FNO, we teach you all kinds of stuff. Like, what is this blockchain thing? And I don't know if you're like me, but basically you pretty much have no idea and I don't even pretend. And I watched a video the other day, a two minute, and the video is advertised that watch this video, even your 10 year old can understand it. And I, of course, didn't understand it. So I, I know that and the reason that I bring this up is because you were involved in a blockchain implementation when you were at Erie. And so give us a down and dirty quickie on what is blockchain and why is it important? Why does it matter in insurance? Sure. We were able to complete a small experiment at Erie Insurance on blockchain. And when I reached out to a couple of industry friends to say, hey, would you be interested in trying a blockchain experiment? The first question I got was very similar to what you just said, Rob. What is blockchain? So it's a, I'll give the little technical information, but then I'll explain a little bit. I am not a technical expert on this. I am an operational expert. I know what it is and how it can work. And then what are some business solutions that might lend themselves to blockchain? Blockchain is an immutable ledger. So we have, say, a buyer and a seller on either side of that transaction, the blockchain creates an algorithm and then a third party comes in and based on the factors of that transaction, verifies that the parties are who they say they are, the information is accurate, and the miner then solves the algorithmic equation that's created in the blockchain and then the transaction takes place. And what blockchain provides is security and anonymity. So the parties can stay anonymous, yet still transact something, some sort of business. And the largest type of transaction that's currently taking place in blockchain is in the cryptocurrency world that I mentioned earlier. So you've got the Bitcoins of the world that are using blockchain to transact their business. So that's the overview. That is the best way to explain where blockchain sits in a transactional world. Imagine that it's very similar to the internet. It's not an app. It is the process of how a transaction takes place. So it's really a map of a seller and buyer, and there's authentication between them. Correct. We're also leaving people anonymous at the same time, allowing for purchases to happen. Pretty interesting. Yes, yes. So think of it as a way to transact any accounting process. So that's the that's the overall view of, of what blockchain is. And then at Erie Insurance, we did an experiment. We did it with another party. It was successful. And we were ready to move to the next step with it. And then we ran into some resistance. And we can talk about that a little later. But from a business standpoint, where does blockchain go within the insurance world? I see blockchain not as a disruptor of insurance and insurance transactions. I see it as an enabler of insurance and insurance transactions. At the very smallest level, wrote back office transaction functions are ideally situated for a blockchain. So let's imagine, if you will, 
a company that has a bunch of temporary help and they they're getting this temporary help from three different vendors. Instead of having three different applications and logins, you can set up a blockchain and have each one of those vendors submit their hours, the rate, and the total invoice amount. The company has all of their contract terms as part of the blockchain. And if all the boxes get checked off, there's no human interaction that's needed. All of the hours are within the parameters set by the contract. The rate is what was agreed to in the contract. Everything matches boom, the transaction takes place. So the company is only dealing with one system. And then outliers are what get the attention and human intervention. It's like a straight through process type transaction. So that's a small example. In the long term, I foresee the day where a blockchain solution will be developed. And companies are working on this now. There's some insurance companies in Europe, especially in the reinsurance world, that are well ahead of, of the rest of the property casualty area. From policy application all the way through the life of that policy to either non-renewal or cancellation, you could put everything in to a blockchain and you could include endorsement changes throughout that time frame, premium changes throughout that time frame, claims that occur. All of that eventually could go into a blockchain and then you wouldn't need a major IT process or application. You just have your blockchain set up and it takes care of everything. I think blockchain is fascinating because it really does. It allows streamline. It allows all these integrations between people and other companies and streamlines it and then kind of gives it a life of its own. So I like the vision you have there. I'm not the only one that has it. We've had conversations with other players in this space. And those of us who at least understand the technology, I don't, I'll never claim to be somebody who could set up a blockchain and uh, do the actual programming. But from a conceptual standpoint, going through the process that we did at Erie Insurance with our uh, little experiment. I understand it very well. And while we're sitting in the room talking about the very specifics of our experiment, I'm thinking about a lot, five or six other areas where blockchain would be ideal to be developed, especially within the claims arena. Let's talk about your experience with this at Erie, which I think is a, this is a great segue. Tell us about what happened. I'm interested in sharing with our audience the challenges of implementing insure tech of any kind or change of any kind in a carrier environment. And it sounds like this would be a good example of that. Sure. What took place at Erie was a CEO who's now retired. He had innovation top of mind day in and day out. So he was open to innovation. He was able to get resources set aside, financial resources set aside to begin conversations within the organization for innovation projects. I'll back up just a second on something else. Erie Insurance was one of the first companies to fly drones on claims. And I was fortunate enough to run the drone program for Erie Insurance. All of that development was a direct result of the vision the CEO had generally to say, we need to invest in innovative ideas. And specifically, we invested in, in drones and became one of the leaders there. So he had that vision and backed it up with financial support. So when he was there as CEO is when I was having conversations with the head of the innovation area on possibly looking at a blockchain experiment. And as we were going through that process, uh, I approached a couple of carrier friends. And once they educated themselves on what blockchain was, we were able to set something up with one of those parties. And we went through that process of, okay, what is the best use case? What's the best experimental situation? How do we control the blockchain? Because we just wanted to learn and we did not want to be 
intruding in the customer interaction between each company. So we chose a, what was essentially a back office function. And it took some time to get through the process of getting ready to build the blockchain because we needed to understand it ourselves a little bit more on the technical side. So we engaged with a third-party consulting firm that was very experienced in blockchain. Once we got comfortable with that, then we had to look, work through the legal requirements and legal paperwork. And believe me, there's a lot of that because we're dealing with a brand new concept and technology and there's intellectual property rights that we had to work through and discuss. We all had agreements in principle, but once we got the lawyers involved, the language got complicated as it usually does. But we were able to work through all that in a very cordial and professional way on both sides. So then we got ready for the build of the blockchain and we had full support, we had financial support, we had uh, resource support from the organization on our side as well as the other side. And within six weeks, once we went from kickoff and persona, we, we built personas for the various players that would be involved in this chain. Six weeks, we had the system built and we were testing it and it was done. And we were ready for greater build and implementation and ran out of, out of the funds because there were some issues going on. But in the time that we started the conversation to when I left Erie Insurance, we had a CEO change. And the new CEO currently there He's also top of mind innovation thinking, which is great because when you have a great idea, he's all about it. So innovation starts at the top. The CEO has to have innovation as a priority. And I was fortunate enough to work at Erie Insurance during this time of experimentation and innovation for two CEOs who had that vision and started the culture creation. You know, you bring up a great point about vision and accepting that innovation is there and changing and I think you're absolutely right whenever we're we're talking about how does a carrier start going down the path of innovation and insured tech, it starts at the top. And it sounds like you had a really good success with having leaders who were open-minded and interested in actually investing in these opportunities, which really leads me to a point of, you know, if I'm an insured tech company and I know that there is an insurance company out there who's interested in this innovation and interest in this insured tech. How can I, as an insured tech company, get the attention of that carrier? What can I do? <clears throat> There's uh, a few things that seem to resonate well with me, as well as my peers. I mean, I attended conferences all the time, was able to build and develop great relationships with other insurance professionals at other organizations. And they all have varying degrees of ability as well as desire to innovate and ability. A lot of these folks are great at being visionaries and thinking outside the box to coin the, the overused phrase, but they may not be capable from an, a resource standpoint. So the, the capability is on two different aspects. From a vendor standpoint, the best thing that these companies can do is one, develop rapport with the decision makers. One of the things that I've developed a lot of friendships with folks in the industry, and typically the longer term relationships have occurred when the person on the other side of the table has taken time to get to know me and my organization, gets to know me and my priorities. So asking questions about what are you working on? What's a priority? What's coming down the line in the next few years? And then once that information is gathered, then see how the solution that that particular insured tech company offers fits. They need to understand how will their solution impact service or cost or other efficiency gains. Because I've had vendors come to me and asked for a meeting and timing is everything. Sometimes I would get a call and I'd say, I just don't have time because of X, Y, and Z. And then other times I had time. So I would take a meeting and one of the first questions I'm asked is, tell me about your company. Well, 
that should have been done before you even walked in the door. But that happens routinely or happened routinely. Then also don't just offer a solution and say, this is our solution and take it or leave it. You have to have a solution that's customizable. But I had a great solution working on a water mitigation solution and project with a vendor. And it took a long time for us to get through from initial discussion all the way through to pilot and then eventual implementation. But we made some tweaks, course corrections, made all kinds of changes to make sure that the solution that they were offering fit the Erie Insurance service proposition. And it was a great solution. And and they helped not only with direct claims impact, but they helped us develop training for the adjusters. So they had a full suite of assistance. And it was a direct result of getting to know me and the company and what the priorities are And also where the problems were, because we had to understand where the problems were. And they walked that journey with us together. It wasn't either one of us leading the other. It was just a a great collaboration all the way through from start to finish. So if I'm hearing right, relationship is really number one. Getting to know each other, getting to understand each other's fits where each company, the insure tech and the carrier fit, and then really just molding that relationship and working through pilots, successful pilots and non-successful pilots, and then implementing training. It really sounds like relationship is number one. It is. One of the things that I'm free to do now that I'm no longer attached with an insurance company is I'm able to assist other firms. And I'm fortunate enough to be on the advisory board for a startup and property repair space. And I'm advising them, trying to help them understand which carriers might be a good fit for them. And now it's time for the company to build that rapport with these decision makers. One, two, understand the timing. One of the last things I did at Erie Insurance was implement a major IT change. And I had vendors call me all the time and said, I don't have time or resources to devote to any changes right now because we've got big changes coming down the line with this project. It took a year and a half to get through that whole process. And it was a new claim solution for the property folks. And so the insurtech firms have to understand that just because they have built the rapport, the timing may not be right just yet. The timing may be right later. And then stay in contact, stay up to date on what's going on with the organization. And then once you have an opportunity to possibly get in and meet with them, offer the solution and and make sure you illustrate, does your solution offer some cost benefit, some service benefit, some efficiency gain? And understand how to articulate that back to the insurance carrier. Yeah, you know, we sell into the carrier space at our company. And it's sometimes... I have a example of a of a product that we developed that was we considered to be a no brainer, and we thought we were <laughs> we thought we were going to revolutionize a space because of the speed and the cost savings. I mean, not only it paid for itself several times over, the ROI on the product was significant, and nobody wanted it. And I shouldn't say nobody wanted; it. few companies wanted it. And what I finally came to understand was. It had a lot to do with the timing of it. And for any organization to implement something that's new, it's not just the snap of a finger. There's a lot of work that goes into that, right? I mean, if you bring me a solution and it's a good solution, in order to integrate it into my workflows and my processes, it can be a big deal. Right. And the successful vendor relationships that I developed with with Erie Insurance took into account solution, timing, cost, implementation cost, et cetera, and complexity. So the more complex it would be, the less compelling the story can be for an insurance company. We were fortunate to develop a lot of great relationships, and that was based on the time invested on both sides. And I prided myself on being pretty straightforward with the vendor partners that we we had. We added some, we got rid of some, 
Some of it was just because their solution hasn't kept up with the times. Other solutions we just said no to because it wasn't a good strategic fit. So it, it just depends. And the InsurTech firms shouldn't be offended if it's a no, because it may just be a no, not right now. And just stay in contact with those folks. I can testify firsthand that you can be quite frank if you need to be. <laughs> <laughs> I've, I've, I've had that experience with you. But you want to know what? I prefer that instead of uh, dancing around and wasting a lot of time. I want to ask you about drones. The first time actually that I met you was at a property innovation summit in Servio's party that they put on. And you did a session on drones. And drones have gone through a fascinating evolution, I would say, from when they first came in and they were going to change everything immediately to, I think that their use case has got more refined with time. And so talk about drones a little bit and what you think about them today. Sure. I was a little skeptical of the drone being part of the claims handling equation at first, but it didn't take me long to realize this is going to be a game changer for property adjusting. First and foremost, the drone use keeps adjusters safe. That transition step off the ladder to the roof and then back from the roof to the ladder is where the injuries usually occur. So adjusters would be safe. That's one. Two, it will be a tremendous time saver by just flying a drone over a roof because the image quality was so great. With the drones that Erie Insurance was using, we were using the DJI Phantom. We used the Pros when I was there. So the drones themselves, on a risk-by-risk -risk basis, which would be the quadcopters, those are fantastic. Then you have another possible operation with drones, and that's on the underwriting side, to do inspections. And I think that's where the drone story has not been told as strongly. The claims aspect, the service aspect is getting all the press, and rightly so, because that's where the biggest impact can be seen, an immediate impact can be seen. But on the underwriting side, I think that that's a, an area that we were looking at at Erie Insurance as well. And then the third area and third aspect of drone operations is in the catastrophe response. And that could be either quadcopter type drones or fixed wing. But with fixed wing, you've got a lot of other issues with airspace. So the drone story continues to evolve, but it's still well within the parameters of being safe and cost-effective because there's nothing like being able to fly a drone over a two-story multifaceted roof in 10 minutes and have all of your images as opposed to walking it for an hour. There are some solutions out there that fly a pattern and provide the footprint of the roof in a diagram. You can download that. And again, that's additional time savings. There's some cost involved there. There's also some solutions out there that you can get the footprint even before you get out to the loss. And that's what we did at, at Erie Insurance. We allowed our adjusters to get those reports in prior to even going out on the, on the loss. So the drone aspects of claim handling, underwriting, and then cat response still exist. They're still relevant, will continue to be relevant. The challenge that still is out there today, as it was when we first started flying, is the airspace, the FAA restrictions on the airspace. They're trying to gradually loosen the restrictions. And I saw something in, in the news recently where the FAA is looking to allow night operations soon, and they've got to go through the rulemaking process. But they're gradually looking to relax those restrictions. And once that occurs, then drone use will be, it'll take off. How's that? It'll take off. Well, you know, we did see in the news, I believe it was Friday of last week, where the FAA went ahead and issued its first one ever, where uh, State Farm can now fly drones over 
multiple properties over buildings out of line of sight. So it's really a fast, you know, change in the industry because we used to only be able to fly drones where we could see them. Uh, we couldn't fly whole neighborhoods. And now what they're going to be able to do with this technology in such a short amount of time is going to be really neat. And that is going to lead us into these nighttime. This is going to increase the uh, catastrophe use of drones. It's going to continually push because it, it did. It was a refined you know, market for where they were at the time. But as the FAA grows and continues to see value, we as the insurance industry will also be able to, to reap those benefits. One of the things that I was privileged to do when I was with Erie Insurance is be a part of the Property Drone Consortium. We're among carriers, Allstate, auto owners, one of my former employers, American Family, Pilot Catastrophe, Erie Insurance. We were, and in uh, Eagle View Technologies, we were the um, voting members of the PDC. And we were able to work on CAT protocols. We were able to work with the Department of Homeland Security on some protocols around flight operations. We had a pipeline uh, to the FAA where we could share some information on operations. We were trying to get the FAA to become more and more comfortable, and we were successful doing that, as well as with local emergency management teams. We were able to attend a couple of their annual conferences, and just the presence of the insurance industry at those events went a long way to when a catastrophe hit. We had had some protocols available that we could implement easily and provide comfort to the local authorities that we knew what we were doing. Wow, that is neat to be able to have that pipeline to those people who make the laws and decisions and all of the regulations. I bet that was neat to be a part of that. It was very enjoyable and rewarding, and I was around some great people at those companies. We also worked with the group down in South Carolina, the National Home Safety, where they're um, supported by the industry. And yeah, that we were able to work with a lot of great people. Uh, Rochester Institute Technology was a technical partner for a short period of time. So we were able to make some inroads on a lot of different initiatives. And the PDC is ending its run. Uh, I believe they've taken steps to unwind, which was great because, as they said, and I think in a, the press release announcing it, it was mission accomplished, and I agree with that. So as independent adjusters, one of the problems that we have with drones is what about the inside? What do you have to say about that? The day may come where drones could go inside like a home and that sort of thing. But some of the drones require the GPS connection through satellite technology. And when you're under roof, it's hard to get that. So that's flight control is a little bit of an issue. There are some companies out there that are working on solutions where it's not necessarily with a drone, but you use your camera for imagery. And then based on privileged algorithmic calculations, they're trying to come up with the measurements of the room. And I envision a day where eventually the solution will be you take a photo of moderate to minor damage, and based on the image, the measurements and the estimate of damage will be produced without any further adjuster interaction. Yeah, very neat. I could totally see that happening. I think we're on the path. We've had the privilege of talking to some very smart people uh, who understand photography, they understand algorithms, they understand your smartphone, and they understand where we are now and where we need to go. And I think that as these people continue in their processes, they will be able to to actually make something like that happen. The day is coming. The day is coming. And this day came and you gave us time and information and intelligence. And we really appreciate uh, you being with us today. What deep academic thought do you have for us on the way out? <laughs> <laughs> well, the deep academic thought I have is that today's generation of college student and then the kids that are coming into college over the next few years this generation is ideally situated for the insurance 
industry, whether it be on the service side, it be on the underwriting side, it be on the vendor side. They're competitive, they're pragmatic, a little reserved compared to previous generations. They're the most racially diverse group. They want to learn new information and they tend to learn it faster. And they crave financial security, want to make work part of their lives. So how does that fit with insurance? Insurance is always needed. It's stable. It's competitive. And there are a lot of options for career growth. And the other characteristic of the iGen is, and that's what they're called, the iGen, they have a caring nature. And so those that have a real strong caring nature would be a great fit for claims because that's where the service proposition lies. That's where the rubber meets the road. And I've had conversations with students along these lines and Many of the students have these characteristics to some degree. And the insurance industry needs to get out and promote itself to the high schools and the colleges because the need for talent is tremendous. And these graduates that are going to be coming out of college are a great fit for the insurance industry. And I'm just excited to be a part of it on the academic side. Just what you told us on the cyber opportunity is enormous. That's going to require an enormous labor pool to take care of that. Absolutely. Absolutely. And here at Mercyhurst University, we're working diligently to play a small role in filling the need that the industry has. And it's exciting. You know what? We're thrilled to have you with us. And I'm going to ask you, would you come back and talk with us some more? Because there's lots of topics to cover. I mean, today we we scratched the surface on several, but uh, as we drill down deeper and deeper and deeper into the world of insure tech and and carriers and service providers. We'd love to have you back for your insights and your knowledge. Would you do that for us? Well, I'd be honored to do that. That'd be great. Okay, let's. Uh, we'll look forward to that. Thank you very much for being a part today, Gary. Thanks, Gary. My pleasure. Thank you, gentlemen. You know, when I first met Gary, he was... Um, how, how can I say this? He wasn't like really nice to me. <laughs> <laughs> Just because right he out was, there. <laughs> he was a carrier executive and, you know, I was as uh, one of my friends calls me, one of my friends in this business calls me a greaser. Right. I, I have um, heard that before. Yeah. Yeah. We won't mention any names, uh, Mr. Rice, but, um, but, uh, Gary's a really nice guy and a really smart guy. And, um, and I've had many opportunities to talk to him since then and, uh, very informative, uh, sharp and, um, and straight shooter. Yeah. You know, talking, talking about kind of where he's been and, and, and actually where he's at now is, is a, a very neat conversation because he's able to take real world experience and bring it into the classroom. I remember going to college and and you had two types of uh, professors. Mm-hmm. You had mm-hmm. those who who knew what they were talking about, you know, because mm-hmm. they've read, they've studied, and and they're professors. And then you have those who were in the workplace for years and years and years, right. and are bringing real life examples. And uh, those were always some of my favorites because I was able to take real life examples and use them in my own life. And I think that's what Gary is going to be able to do uh, there at at, at Mercyhurst, right. just bring this this depth of information and real world. Uh, 
you know, information and, and deliver it to his students. Yeah, I think he's a great ambassador for the industry and for right. uh, the kind of um, knowledge transfer that needs to that needs to happen. You know, I know that Baylor, we're in our home office is in Waco, Texas, and of course that's the hometown of Baylor, and Baylor has an insurance program, but it's not super right. common across the country, and so it's good to see growth in that. Uh, where a, where a young person can go and get uh, good information about insurance and make an informed decision about joining uh, joining the, the industry. Um, I thought that there was a number of interesting things that he he said. Of course, I'll, I'll jump on the first one, which which was what he had to say about relationships, right? And mm, that exactly. And, and uh, speaking to insurtechs and saying, uh, hey. InsureTech people, you guys need to build relationships with carriers. You need to understand carriers. You need to listen to carriers. You need to uh, have empathy and depth of relationship in order to move your your product down the line. It's a relationship process, not just a product process. Right. We are in a relationship business, and uh, we've heard. Uh, you know, I would say there's there's a couple different types of insure tech companies who have come to market. Those who say that's not how it was designed, and those who say I, I hear you, I understand what you're needing. We can work towards that and let let's build a better product together. And that's what a relationship does. Right. In fact, you know, uh, it makes me think back on the our you know one of our more famous pilots that we did, where uh, it didn't go well, and uh, part of that was, I think that we tried to shortcut. The relationship part shortcut the really understanding what the needs were, right? And really understanding uh, what the goal was. And um, there was a lot of, we were working with um, some other technology companies on it uh, for a carrier. And I think that we kind of shortcut the relationship part because it happened so quickly, remember? It did, that, yeah. That, that we didn't really have the full breadth of of understanding about what's the goal of this company what's who are these people what do they want where does this go right you know what i'm trying to say yeah i i would agree with you and i think that that's a, a couple of things to think about here one we we do need to be able to have those relationships we do need to be able to build a product that that meets the needs but then we also need to understand that there are going to be times where we don't have a, a, a year to get to know a, a process or a company. So we're going to have to be uh, agile and be able to to jump into some of these pilots quick and build the information, and, and, or, or I say build the network and the relationship. And I, you know, I, I think that's a lesson learned from us is how do we quickly jump into these pilots and, and things like that. Gary also hit on a really interesting fact that I hadn't put a lot of thought into. Uh, we've, we've for so long have talked about the generation that's coming up next. Uh, we've talked about the millennials and how uh, they will work claims differently and how they'll be insured differently and everything about them is different. But we really haven't put a lot of thought into the generation behind them. And, and Gary was talking about how they're more, um, you know, thoughtful sometimes in their approaches. They're more uh, sensitive and, and wanting to work with uh, people and build relationships and long-term uh, relationships with companies. And I, I, 
you know, I, I don't really know where that goes with this, but I think it's something that we need to think about. And in a lot of our decisions and, and workplace environment decisions, we need to be able to think about what is the generation that's 10 and 20 years from now. The other thing that, that we touched on was vision. Vision's super important, super critical. No one's going to argue that. I, when, when I was in grad school, I had a, I asked one of my professors once who I really liked. He was a former CIO of a Fortune 500 company. And I asked him, I said, you know, there's a lot of talk about vision versus implementation, right? Dreaming versus doing. And I said, I said, what do you think it is? What's the right percentage between vision and implementation? You know, what's the successful, what's the right percentage? And he thought for a second and he said, 20% vision, 80% implementation, which was uh, interesting. You can chew on that. But G Gary was talking about that he worked with uh, CEOs in his organizations that were that had vision, they were visionary and they were pushing, pushing innovation. And, um, I think that those organizations are, um, obvious to people like us, to people like you and me and the work that we do, we can see those organizations, um, that the, the ones that have innovative leadership because they have, uh, um, uh, innovation teams, right. That, that they have, organizations. Yeah, you know, it is. It, it all starts with the vision. I mean, you have to have the vision that you want to take your company down this path of change and, and get out of your comfort zone or see that there's change on the horizon and that you need to meet to it. Uh, so, you know, you, you have to, it starts at the top. Uh, everything I read about lean processing and, and uh, you know, bettering an organization, you have to have buy-in from the top. And, uh, you know, Gary had that. He, he had a, a leader who was willing to do that. And a lot of our more successful companies that we've seen out there get into the innovation world and and be successful have that vision at the top. Right. Maybe we need to have maybe we need to have an episode on blockchain. Well, that was a interesting discussion, and I I know about as much as I did before, which is not near enough. So uh, blockchain's a, a complicated uh, philosophy, thought process. I'm not still real sure how to explain blockchain. But uh, but we'll let, let's check into that. We'll uh, maybe we'll uh, task our 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 capable producer with digging that, that up. But uh, sounds sounds like a great plan. That, yeah, hey, that's maybe, another way to say that we're kind of lazy and don't want to do that. So yeah, or maybe we can just watch that uh, two minute video you watch. <laughs> I, 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 I have it still, and I'll send it to you, and we'll see if you do better that. with it than I did. I appreciate that. <laughs> well, listen, Podcast World, it's always great to have you with us. Our big, big, big thanks to Gary Sullivan uh, for his time and his enthusiasm uh, mm -hmm. and sharing his knowledge. And uh, we'll see you next time uh, on another exciting episode of FNO InsureTech. Insure That's right. Bye, everybody. <laughs>